Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. It is so good to see you all. It's good to be here together. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist, and it is an absolute joy to be leading worship this morning with Reverend Arif and Reverend Lauren and with Lauren and with Peter and Ivy and Beatrice and Amy and Barb. It is so good to be here together. And special welcome to Barb Brooks, who's joining us, subbing in for Franco, who's recovering from some tendinitis. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you to the visual arts team for these gorgeous flowers. Thank you for this place to come to and to be together. For over 150 years, First Universalist has been a community that proclaims the power of love and hope. We create community where we invite each other into the rhythm and practice of giving and receiving and growing together. We practice the universalist spirit of love and hope by listening carefully to where love is calling us next by welcoming and affirming and protecting the light in each and every human heart, and by acting with humility and compassion and courage for justice. We do all of this as a faith community with a deep commitment to ending oppression in all of its forms and building a beloved community where everybody can be welcomed with joy and where we can all know liberation. This is what we are about together. We care for each other when we're here in this building, by encouraging everybody that's here in person to be vaccinated, by reminding each other to stay home if we're feeling sick or we're waiting on a COVID test result, by wearing our masks in the building unless we're eating or drinking or speaking at the pulpit, asking for consent before you go in for a hug. And today we're changing something that I have been missing for some time, which is the opportunity to sing together. So we will be singing hymns today, all of us out loud, if you want to, but I just want to let you know that's happening, um, and I'm excited for this together today. So we are always looking for ways to care for each other, to line up our actions with our values. That is the spiritual life here at First Universalists. So there are lots of ways to get connected. If you're new, special welcome to you. We're excited that you're here. Everybody should make sure you're signed up for our newsletter so you know what's going on in our community. Join us downstairs for coffee hour after the service if you like. It's a great way to get to know each other. Come back today at 1.30, whether you're joining us online or in person. Our Minister Emerita, the Reverend Kate Tucker, is going to be here with us and with me celebrating my book launch, so I'm excited for that. It'll be a great opportunity. Um, and I'm a little nervous, so y'all will help me a lot by being here. <laughs> Um, and then online today at four, we have our online grief group led by Reverend Karen Hutt. So if that is something that might uh, support you and your spirit, please check out our website and find out more information about that grief group. Now, I want to invite us all, always, to be a part of weaving together the vision of our hopes and dreams as a community. So these ribbons might or might not be familiar to you. We've got some up here. If you need them, you can see down in the social hall the board where these ribbons are being woven together. 
We're inviting you to write a word or a phrase of a hope, an aspiration that you might have for our community. I'm always writing love on mine um, and putting them in the basket or putting them near the sculpture downstairs so they can be woven together as a visual representation of our hopes and dreams as a community. So huge gratitude to our visual arts team for making this a reality. Now, as we prepare ourselves for this time of connection, I invite us into a practice we have been sharing for quite some time now. So this is an opportunity to arrive here in our bodies and settle ourselves. For me, I am putting my feet on the floor. I'm taking a moment to make myself a little taller <laughs> and to open up my chest a little bit. An opportunity for us to be connected through our shared breath. So if this feels right, I invite you into three intentional breaths together. Breathing in and breathing out super slow. Breathing in, breathing out. Once more at your own pace, breath in, breath out. And from this place of connection with ourselves, our bodies, our spirits, we remember that we are on land that is not our own, that people and land and beings are not, in fact, possessions to be owned, that the earth that all of us carry stories, past and present and future, stories full of richness, of pain, of joy, of liberation, of longing, and we commit ourselves here to learning all the stories, to holding it all. From this place, I invite Ivy and Beatrice to help us light our chalice, and I invite you to say the words with us if you'd like to. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Yeah. 
Good morning. <laughs> My name is Peter Kimball, and I serve on the church's annual giving team. Thank you for joining me in person on this crisp spring Sunday morning. <clears throat> Particularly crisp this morning, yes. I would like to share with you what this church and what the wider Unitarian Universalist faith community has meant to me. When I arrived in Puerto Rico in 2014 with my family, I knew this would be a different move for us. We had gone through this once before in 2009 when I came to Minneapolis to be closer to family. The Puerto Rico move was different though. We would be thousands of miles away from loved ones. We had no idea if we'd be away for nine months or nine years. And we essentially had no personal connections with the island outside of my work. I knew that acclimating to our new home would take time. As one church friend had warned me before our departure, in order to belong, you need to be long. But how long would that be? As we settled in to make this beautiful foreign place our home, we did what we had done when we moved to Minneapolis. We looked for a spiritual setting where like-minded, free-thinking, liberally-leaning people called home. But in a place where traditional Christianity dominated, where, what were the chances that we'd find a UU community? As it turned out, the Unitarian Universalist Puerto Rico Fellowship was an established UU community that happened to be just minutes from our home. It was a small but growing congregation that met on Sundays at a local library. Led by a gay, ordained minister of Episcopalian faith, this church community of 10 grew by half when the Kimball family arrived at our first <laughs> gathering. Sunday morning services were spontaneous, yet organized. Everyone got involved as choir members, ushers, chalice lighters, and readers, and the coffee hour lasted longer than the service. This was our new church community. It filled our spiritual vessels, challenged our ideas about religion, and offered a safe space where everyone was welcome. At the end of our stay in Puerto Rico, our little congregation took to the streets of San Juan for a pride march just before the Supreme Court issued the decision on gay marriage in 2015. Upon returning to Minnesota, I had a renewed appreciation for my spiritual home at First Universalist Church. I was eager to explore what lay beyond church services on Sunday. I joined a community circle of men who were able to discuss the joys and challenges of fatherhood. In another circle, I learned about the ingrained intersection of race and privilege in our society and methods to dismantle it. The religious education program has helped my children navigate their young spiritual lives in programs like the Rites of Passage, Coming of Age, and Our Whole Lives. Most importantly, though, this church, each and every morning, reaffirms for me the inherent worth and dignity of all of us, no matter how we're oriented. In a world where the most basic freedoms are under attack, these are words we all need to hear. So, congregation, this is why I joined the UU faith and why I come to this church. As I make my pledge to First Universalist Church, I hope you will join me in giving too. Come, let us worship. So I have a story for you today. 
And it's about a small thing that my son invented. And in truth, I was a little worried that this story might not be big enough for us today. But Adrian Marie Brown is a big thinker and writer with a really big spirit and a big heart and big ideas. And she says, small is good. Small is all. This small thing that my son taught me feels like that. So here it is. When Ames was small, oh my goodness, he was such a loving and cuddly and expressive little guy. But sometimes when he would get hurt or frustrated, those really big feelings would be too much for him. He would get overwhelmed and it would be hard for him to let other people help him. He would rather run away and hide than let anyone know how upset he was. It was as though having another person witness his big feelings actually made them bigger and harder to bear. Well, one spring day when he was playing with a bunch of kids on the playground after school, Ames fell and hurt himself and then he ran off. I saw this happen and the other kids went on playing, so I followed and found Ames alone, hiding behind a tree. And I said, oh, poor buddy, I'm so sorry you got hurt. And I leaned in to give him a hug, but Ames growled at me and shook his head. <laughs> and he was telling me very clearly that what I wanted to give was not what he needed. So I stopped. I didn't know what to do next, so I just waited. And then, this one little finger Ames offered up to me. And so I offered mine back, and we touched our little pointer fingers together and held them like that for a while until he apparently started to feel better. And eventually, he got up and ran off to join his friends. From then on, that became our small way of showing love. Hey, I'm right here for you. Yeah, I, I feel that, thank you. Amos didn't want a big response when he was struggling. He didn't want me or anyone else coming over and asking a lot of questions or giving a lot of advice or making a big deal of it. He wanted this small gesture. And this was hard, not for him, but for me. Because I love, 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 love to talk about what's going on. I love to solve a problem. I love to kiss an owie and put on a Band-Aid. And I really want to scoop up my kid when he's having a hard time and squeeze him really hard. But I learned that if I really wanted to help Ames, I needed to show up how he wanted me to. And so I needed to slow down and back up. And we needed to start small. This small act helped us over and over again as Ames grew. When he was eight or nine years old, I was pretty sick for a couple of weeks, so sick that even I didn't feel like talking, and I just lay in bed while the world went on outside my door. But every now and then, Ames would creep in and come and touch my finger. No questions, no requests. Just a bit of wordless comfort, exactly what I needed, it turned out.
Later, when Ames was a teenager, lots of times he and I couldn't seem to agree on just about anything. But if either of us would remember to stop arguing and offer this little gesture, the other one always returned it. And it helped us to slow down and to remember that of course we love each other, of course we will figure this out together, of course we're on the same team. Small is good, small is all. This is what Adrian Marie Brown put in words that I recognize now as the lesson that Ames taught me. And he taught me something else too, how to show up in a new way, in a way that he wanted rather than the way that I was used to, how to bring love in the form that he could take it in, how to express big love in such a small gesture, measured, manageable. Love concentrated and potent was precisely what he needed. Friends, I want to invite you into a time of prayer and a time of meditation. So I invite you to put down anything that you're holding, literally, metaphorically. Settle in. Take a deep breath. Breathe in and out this shared breath that makes us one. We are that. We are that. An intuition, a sliver of God consciousness in our hearts pointing toward a bigger reality. We are that, says a little acorn, pointing toward an oak tree. We are that, says the Buddha, pointing toward the moon. We are that, says Jesus, pointing toward a lamp. We are that, said Martin. We are that, said Malcolm. We are that, said Asada. We are that, said Ella. We are that. We are that. We are that. Wave upon wave upon wave upon wave. Poets and prophets pointing, agitating, washing over us with waves of love that never forget. Waves of love that never forget who we really are, who we could be even in the midst of our endless forgetting. Listen. Listen. Can you hear, can you feel the waves of love washing over you? 
waves of love that remember even now who you are, who we are. Waves of love gently carrying us home. Waves of love gently carrying us home. Here in this ocean of love and compassion and care, we offer up all the things that we carry in our hearts this day, all the things we would surround in the embrace of this congregation. And I invite you now to speak aloud or hold in the silent sanctuary of your hearts those things you would lift in worship this morning. And we pray together that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the weight of oppression be lightened, that truth be told, that joy break through, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. I'll just say that being, when we've been in person and we haven't been able to sing Spirit of Life, ugh, this has been kind of killing me, so thank you for this return. So I'm going to tell you the secret to my sermon from the very start, which is, we are that, and that is love. That is what we are meant for, that's what we are meant to be and to do in the world, love. It's really that simple. But I'm talking about a different kind of love so than maybe you see on Hallmark cards and in the uh, capitalist world. So we'll start off with a little Marge Piercy, the poem to have without holding, which continues to teach me about love. She writes, learning to love differently is hard. Love with the hands wide open, love with the doors banging on their hinges, the cupboards unlocked, the wind roaring and whimpering in the rooms, rustling the sheets and snapping the blinds that thwack like rubber bands in an open palm. 
It hurts to love wide open, stretching the muscles that feel as if they are made of wet plaster, then of blunt knives, then of sharp knives. It hurts to thwart the reflexes of grab, of clutch, to love and let go again and again. It pesters to remember the lover who is not in the bed, to hold back what is owed to the work that gutters like a candle in a cave without air, to love consciously, conscientiously, concretely, constructively. I can't do it, you say. It's killing me. But you thrive. You glow on the street like a neon raspberry. You float and sail a helium balloon, bright bachelor's button blue and bobbing on the cold and hot winds of our breath as we make and unmake in passionate diastole and systole the rhythm of our unbound bonding. To have and not to hold. To love with minimized malice, hunger and anger, moment by moment balanced. Learning to love differently is hard. You say you can't do it, but there you are, gleaming, bouncing on the street. That is who we are. So I want to tell you a little bit about what I have been learning about love being a part of this community. So if I back all the way up to just a little less than 10 years ago, a little more, my math is not good up here, but about 10 years ago, I was arriving for my first ever Sunday here at First Universalist. And I'll tell you, I was super nervous because I knew that I was supposed to be somehow filling the shoes of Reverend Kate Tucker, our now Minister Emerita, and that that was a completely impossible task because she is brilliant and kind and warm and poetic and all these things. And I was scared about arriving here. So I did what I always do. I try to control things. I showed up really early, and I had all my stuff ready, and I was really just going to sneak in and sit in the sanctuary and observe because I didn't have a part that day. But I showed up, and I walked into the door of the atrium, and I was surprised. I ran into somebody there I wasn't expecting to see, somebody who knew me from another corner of my life, actually from the recovery meetings I used to attend in St. Paul when I lived over there, and I had a moment of total panic. Uh, oh, I guess that part of me is here, too. Ah, and more public than I expected. And I worried about this, and the person immediately threw their arms wide open and said, I'm so glad you're here. And then they showed me around and showed me up to this space in this kind of confusing building, and I came and sat right over kind of where Amy is, actually. And I was there by myself, and if some of you might remember, uh, I remember Mary Jerf, who died a few years ago, but Mary, oh my gosh, was pretty much the one-woman welcome wagon here at church, and she would arrive early and make this her purpose, and she would come in with her walker and her oxygen, and she would roll down and find a spot, but first she would greet everyone. And if somebody came in that she didn't know, she was especially on a mission to greet them, and she spotted me right away. And she rolled on over and asked me who I was. And when I said, I'm Jen Crow, I'm the new minister of program life, she just immediately reached out and put her hands on either side of my face and said, we have been waiting for you. 
I've never been greeted like that in my life, except maybe by my grandma when I was a little kid, right? To have someone hold my face with that kind of care. And I tell you this because she embodied for me what I came to learn was and is the spirit of this church. We say it whenever we gather, love is the spirit of this church. But really it is. It's not just words. This is our theology. This is who we are and what we are about, and it takes shape in all kinds of different ways. In that moment, I learned something about this place, that you all and we all together have been practicing the art of the good goodbye. We started that with Reverend Kate, of how do we say goodbye? And we're learning now and still and always how to say a warm hello how to hold each other's faces metaphorically or really in our hands and say, we've been waiting for you, exactly you, exactly the way you are, loved and whole and holy and worthy, just as you are. We want to know you, your story, your hurts, your joys. And we are imperfect at this, of course. I haven't always been greeted like that, and I'm sure you haven't either, but it is what we aim for. It is what we try for together. And this is what is changing us and has been changing me over time. This way that love washes over us, moves through us. So I've learned a little bit about how much you all and this theology of love has changed me because over the last few years, you know, I wrote this book that's coming out today or coming out this week. And Part of what is happening is by being in community, by other people reading my stories, they're then reflecting back to me what they're seeing. This is what it is to be in community with each other. We tell our stories, somebody hears it, and reflects back. So an old friend of mine who I am in community with read the book, and she wrote me what maybe was one of the best emails I've ever gotten, because she said, I read the book, it's sure it's about the fire, but it's about the stories of your life and what I see you doing is looking at your life and rewriting your stories through the lens of love. You have been rewriting your life through the lens of love. And I heard that and I thought, isn't that what this is about? Isn't that what this spiritual journey we are on is about? Isn't this what we have been about as a community for more than 150 years and what we will be about 50 and 150 years from now? What is it like to write the stories of our lives through the lens of love? Not the lens of anger or resentment, though sometimes those are very worthy and important too, but through the lens of love. And what I have realized is that you all and this theology has been changing me. We might think it doesn't matter that we come here once a week or once a month or on this Tuesday or that Thursday, but every time we show up in this community, even if it's only on podcast, that love is making its way, washing over us, softening us, changing us, like water flowing over rock. I know this is happening for us. And as I said at the beginning, my story today is really that we are that. We are love. It is what we're meant to be. And I want to share a story with you that comes from 
the author Glennon Doyle. You might remember I preached out of this a few years ago. It's from her blog, Momastery, and it is a time when she used to take questions from readers and then respond to them. And a question came in from one of her readers who was wondering why her mother hadn't been able to love her the way she needed to, needed it, hadn't been able to care for her. The reader was wondering if she was then going to be able to give the kind of love that her child needed when she hadn't received it herself from her own mother. And Glennon responded like this. Beloved, this is what I know. Love is a river, and there are times when impediments stop the flow of love. Mental illnesses, addiction, shame, narcissism, these are boulders that stop the flow. And sometimes there is a miracle. The boulder gets removed. Some families get to experience this removal miracle. Many don't. There is no rhyme or reason. No one earns it. Healing is not the reward for those who love the most. Love is love is love. And when the boulder is removed, the water flows again. It's the way of the river, the way of a parent's love. We are the river. We are not the boulder. Your parent, she says, your sister, your friend, whoever hurt you, the one who couldn't love you, they were impeded. That love was there, though. It, it couldn't get to you. It could not get to you, but it was there, gathering power, swirling, festering, vicious. It's, it's desperation for release. It was there. It's there all for you. That love exists. It just couldn't get past the boulder. You can trust me on this, she says, because I have been an impeded river. The boulders of addiction and depression blocked my love, and all my family felt was nothing from me, nothing but pain and absence. And then I got the removal, and my swirling water flowed again because I was always love. I was always the water, not the boulder. And I am sorry. You deserved to have the love of your parent delivered to you. You deserved to feel that love. You deserve to be soaked through to the bone with it every day and every night. Please listen. The miracle of grace is that you can give what you have never gotten. The miracle of grace is that you can give what you have never gotten. You can. Because you do not get your power or your water from your parents' river. You get it directly from God. And I would add, the source of all life. Your river is strong, she says. Let it flow flow. You are the river. Flow unimpeded. This is what we're made for. These words from Glennon Doyle, this is what we are, love. This is what we are made for, love. This is what we are about here, love. To be as unimpeded in the flow of love as we can be, because we are the river and not the boulder. We know there are all kinds of boulders that get in the way of love and loving. Some of them are personal or feel individual. Health, addiction, shame, narcissism. There are systemic 
societal boulders that get in our way of love in our world. Boulders like racism, boulders like oppression, boulders like this orientation to the world where we demand that we take and take and take from the earth and each other instead of nurturing what is there. But these boulders aren't there because they're meant to be or because it's meant to be that way. There's just an impeded flow of love. And so we move the boulders if we can. We do that in community by coming together week after week, Sunday after Sunday or Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever, and letting that flow of love move through us, over us, around us. Because we cannot move that boulder on our own. We can only move it together. This is the kind of earth-shaking, earth-shaping love that this church is about. The kind of love that can literally save us, the kind of love that Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor and psychiatrist, taught about when he knew and he taught that love could sustain us even in the very worst of times. It's a kind of love we see taking shape around the world whenever refugees are welcomed with wide open arms and warm hellos. It's the love of justice that Cornell West talks about, that justice is what love looks like in public. It is a fierce kind of love, sometimes washing over us and changing us and sometimes blowing the doors open on their hinges our hearts learning to live wide open. This is what we're about here, learning to live through the lens of love, each of our choices made with love and integrity, with the idea of how do we nurture ourselves and each other into coming more and more into being, learning to love differently. So I bring us back to the images, learning to love differently. The wind of love, the river of love flowing through with the doors wide open, with the cupboard doors banging on their hinges, with us learning to clutch and let go and grab and let go again and again. We do this by opening our hearts, opening our hands, opening our ways of being, our church doors, our communities, sharing our resources, giving, receiving, growing. We say we can't do it. We say it's killing us to love this way. But then there we are, bouncing like a helium balloon down the street, bright bachelor's button blue, hearts wide open. May this be our call and our practice. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 
to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.